It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Friday, June 15th. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. The Saranac Lake Marina got the Adirondack Park Agency's approval yesterday to cover 134 of its boat slips. That didn't sit well with all the APA members. The Hamlets are one of those places that's free of a lot of regulation. So uh, it's just difficult to watch because this will follow that land forever, even if it stops being a marina. Communities throughout the North Country are putting the last details on their Juneteenth celebrations from Osceable Chasm to Watertown. We'll talk with one of the organizers of Burlington's Freedom Day. True belonging is that accessibility of choice and to be in any space and feel like you're authentically can belong. And we'll listen back to a conversation with Dexter Chris, the artistic director of the Burlington Juneteenth Community Choir, about the roots of gospel music in jazz and field hollers. Think how amazing it would be to have a, a field that's probably 200 acres and there's probably 50, 60 people of color, slaves at the time, working those fields, singing over this space. The sound must have been unbelievable. All of that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Depot Theater Westport, a professional equity theater in the Adirondacks celebrating its 45th season, depotheater.org. And by Barstow Subaru, Potsdam, committed to the safety and security of all-wheel drive. Details at barstowsubaru.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. A marina on one of the most popular lakes to go boating in the Adirondacks got the go-ahead to add roofing to more than 100 of its boat slips. The Adirondack Park Agency approved the project on Lower Saranac Lake at its meeting yesterday. As Emily Russell reports, the approval comes after decades of legal battles with the marina. Ten years ago, the Saranac Lake Marina asked the APA if it could add roofing to its boat slips. Those covers would protect boats from the elements. The APA said the marina needed a variance to do that. At the time, the marina also had nine buildings along lower Saranac Lake that didn't conform to the APA standards, and they weren't in great shape. The APA's John Berth briefed the board at Thursday's meeting about the conditions at the marina back in 2014. Here's a view of the uh, portion of the shoreline from the water. You could see what kind of condition these structures were in at that time, complete with caution tape. Some of the buildings were sagging into the lake. So the marina demolished the buildings, and wetlands grew back in their place. They wanted to rebuild and expand, but the APA said the marina needed a permit and a variance to do so. So the marina took the APA to court. Here's Berth again. In early 2017, the applicant sued the agency over our assertion of variance jurisdiction. This lawsuit was argued in Supreme Court that spring with the judge ruling in favor of the agency. Over the next few years, the marina sued again. Then a local landowner sued the marina, the APA, and the DEC. After multiple lawsuits and appeals, the marina chose not to rebuild those large covered structures. Instead, they came to the APA this year and asked for a variance to cover 134 of their boat slips. The APA's berth showed the board what the view looks like without the covered slips. 
Looking back at the marina, this was the uh, existing conditions. And then a simulation with the boat slips covered. Note the uh, green roof, brown poles. Once again, this shows all of the slips being covered. The color of the roofing actually helps the boats and the docks blend into the background from some angles. The variance also includes some improvements to the boat launch, to stormwater management on the property, and a few other upgrades. It also takes away the marina's ability to ever rebuild on the foundation of those nine non-conforming buildings it tore down a decade ago. While that was a concession that the marina proposed, it didn't sit well with Jerry Delaney, who represents the APA's local government review board. Hamlets are one of those places that's free of a lot of regulation. So uh, it's just difficult to watch because this will follow that land forever, even if it stops being a marina. The APA received 50 public comments on the project, about two-thirds in favor of it. They also hosted a public hearing earlier this month. At the end of Thursday's meeting, APA Board Chairman John Ernst called the proposal to a vote. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Okay, very good. The variance request passed unanimously. After a decade of back and forth with the APA and multiple legal battles, the Saranac Lake Marina now has the approval needed to cover its boat slips on Lower Saranac Lake. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio. Due to a lack of affordable housing options, the town of Ticonderoga is working closely with developers to construct a 60-unit mixed-income apartment complex at a former carnival site off Route 22. A county study showed a 2% decrease in Essex County's available housing units over the past decade. During the pandemic, long-term rentals and private homes were transformed into vacation properties through the process of flipping. Landlords turned to short-term rentals because the financial benefit, which led to a rise in rental prices and made renting only slightly more affordable compared to buying a property. Ticonderoga Supervisor Mark Wright told the Adirondack Explorer, it's challenging to find an apartment in town. Plans for the new affordable housing complex are expected to be submitted to the town of Ticonderoga at the next planning and zoning board meeting this summer. The New York State Health Department announced this week that postpartum health care coverage for people who use Medicaid is being extended from two months after the end of pregnancy to a full year. The change also applies to people who use Child Health Plus. The coverage extension will apply regardless of how a pregnancy ends and regardless of immigration status. The state Medicaid director said extending the postpartum coverage will help decrease racial and socioeconomic health care disparities. The U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate of any high-income nation. According to the state health commissioner, black people are four times more likely than white people to die from pregnancy, pregnancy complications in New York. Governor Kathy Hochul convened a state summit on youth mental health in New York City yesterday. Teenagers are facing a crisis like never seen before in the history of this country. It's anxiety. It's depression. And it's suicide. According to the CDC, 42%, almost half of all high school students feel persistently sad or hopeless. And here we are during Pride Month. And we're so proud to be the birthplace of the LGBTQ movement right here in New York. And we'll be celebrating with our Pride Parade. But think about the fact that almost 70% of LGBTQ plus kids feel persistently sad and hopeless. And 37% of them have made a suicide plan. 
Hochul also said three in five high school girls feel persistently sad or hopeless and that suicide rates among black youth rose 37 percent between 2018 and 2021. The event followed seven listening sessions held around the state. More than 200 young New Yorkers got to express their mental health concerns. We need professionals in our schools is what these kids said. And not one mental health counselor for a school of 700, which is what they talked about. Maybe they'll get an appointment three years from now. Come on. Hochul pointed out that the new state budget includes a billion dollars to overhaul the state's mental health system and about $35 billion in education funding. With that money, she said she wants to make sure that every school has mental health professionals on staff. She said the young people she met with uh, pointed to the pandemic and social media as the two biggest causes of the current mental health crisis. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's nine minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll listen back to our conversation with Dexter Chris, the choir director for the Plattsburgh State Gospel Choir, who's leading a group at Burlington's Juneteenth celebration this weekend. A conversation on the roots of gospel music coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. This is the group B Children out of Canton. You can hear more of their music as part of our Underscore Project on our website. Check it out at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation, helping people and families build a legacy of generosity for the Adirondacks, adirondackfoundation.org. And by Cloud Splitter Foundation, saluting North Country Children's Museum, where hands where hands-on interactive experiences for all ages get kids thinking, making, and doing. More info at northcountrychildrensmuseum.org. And our fiscal year wraps up at the end of this month. We'd love to hear from new donors. If you've never given before, consider a gift, a contribution right now. You support music, news, information that you depend on every day on North Country Public Radio. It's easy. Go to ncpr.org slash give. Thank you. Communities throughout the region are putting together the final details on their Juneteenth celebrations. Juneteenth, known as Freedom Day and Jubilee Day, has been celebrated by black Americans since the late 1800s. It commemorates June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas, and announced the end of slavery two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Juneteenth became a federal holiday two years ago. In our region, there's a Color of Freedom tour through Lake Placid, Peru, and Elizabethtown, and Osable Chasm to visit historic spots significant to the struggle for liberation. Jefferson Community College is also marking 10 years since soldiers at Fort Drum first introduced the Juneteenth holiday to the Tri-County area. 
Kim Carson is the director of the Office for Race, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging in Burlington, Vermont, and says Juneteenth is essential for every American's identity. We need to celebrate this as we do everything in America, right? Big and we go big and we go hard. And do that in a way that we elevate and center black voices, but also as people and black people have always done. We have always been inclusive in our fight and our struggle. It's never just been about us. As we rise and the tide rise for black people, it rises for everyone. She says Burlington has a whole lineup of events to commemorate tomorrow. Local black hip-hop artists, Afrobeat musicians, rappers, comedians, hairstylists, cooks, spoken word artists. And she told me at the center of it is a community meal in the heart of town. When we talk about family and friends, it's always about baking bread and having, you know, that really good barbecue, that meal or whatever in a black community. And really what we wanted to do was then do that here in Burlington. So weather permitting, it will be a long family-style table right in the middle of Main Street, overlooking the lake. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be absolutely beautiful. That's just, I mean, that just, it almost seems heavenly in some way to me. Yes, absolutely. What, what this year's theme is, embrace and belonging. And what better way to do it than over a family meal? We are all family. We are Berlantonians, and we're here to celebrate Juneteenth and, and just create this community of, of, of just radical belonging. And when you think of the day, do you think of it as a remembrance or, um, or a celebration or maybe sort of forward-looking or you use the word commemoration? How do you think of that? I think as kind of like a but and, but and, but and. So everything that you said. There's times where we want to sit back and reflect and memorialize in a learning type environment that we need to know what history is so we don't repeat it. But also it's a celebration. It's a celebration of liberation. It's a celebration of light. It's a celebration of highlighting the black body and the black experience in a way that it's not about something negative, but very positive and that the community is coming together around that. And then lastly, you always want to constantly reflect on the history of where we've been to know where we want to go. And this is just another example of when we right those wrongs, how we can do those things, right? So we can honor, we can make things that were wrong right, and we can also celebrate. And that's what's wonderful as a Black American woman about Black American culture. We're able to do it all. Did you celebrate Juneteenth growing up? Actually, I did. I come from Iowa, and we were one of the first states to actually recognize it before it was a federal holiday. Much as we're representing with this supper club, I remember always going to um, our park and basically our black neighborhood in Iowa and just seeing all my family and friends and people that I call my cousins, right? In the black community, everybody's your cousin. And so all these people that we find, this extended family, and coming together and celebrating something that at one point was just so negative, but really turning it into a positive. And when I think about black bodies and blackness and the what our legacy really is moving forward, is always being able to take something that may have been terrible and atrocity and finding a way to find the good. That's my biggest memory of Juneteenth, is taking this thing that was horrific, not telling people that they're free, Right. And then taking this into a space where we can celebrate, educate, 
we can come together and organize to continue to move this legacy of freedom and coming to age in America. I think that's so important. It really makes me think of a, there's a whole lineup of comedians performing Saturday night. I feel like that fits in so well with what you're saying, but um, how do you see that intersection of comedy and laughing and joy and liberation and, and this struggle for freedom? When you talk about the intersections of Black life and how we've leveraged every space that we've been in, in a constant movement for freedom. When you think about the legacy of comedy and those early comedians who actually were activists, you know, your Dick Gregory's and your all these different people that actually use their platform for black liberation. We talk about artists, some of our, our major singers and, and those people during that civil rights uh, time were on the front lines. So there's never really in the black community been a separation from art and reality. It's all been our reality, and we've leveraged every space and platform to continue to strive just to get those inalienable rights that everyone else is extended, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what I really think this embrace and belonging is. True belonging is that accessibility of choice and to be in any space and feel like you authentically can belong. I think so much of our comedians, our musicians, our poets... I, I was listening to this interview with Amanda Gorman and the poet mm-hmm. and, you know, she was talking about how like at the center of this reckoning in the Black Lives Matter movement are these black artists and poets and musicians yeah. that are at just at the center doing this work of democracy building, of equalizing and and connecting and reconciliation and, and calling out. Yeah. This is this is the history and the legacy though. When you go back to Sojourner Truth, aren't I a woman? That's a speech. That's a poem. That's spoken word. You know, you keep moving forward and you think about the legacy and who was there and, and their impact on things that were going on. We have never untethered those intersections, right? We have been in all of those spaces from comedy to spoken word to poetry itself to any you think of any artistry that's out there, it has been a focal point of this movement from the very beginning for this emancipation, for this freedom that we've been striving for and we continue to strive for. For the weekend itself, when people come, Mm -hmm. what do you hope that attendees will take away from the weekend? Mostly just to have a moment of joy. And, and a sense of belonging that we have this in the center, the economic center of the city, Church Street, and that people, black and brown people can come to this space of gathering and feel as belong, a space of belonging and welcome and authentic to be themselves. What does Juneteenth mean to you? Oh, man. Um, it means freedom. It means um, celebration. It means happiness. It means that we're continuing to strive to be perfect within this imperfection, right, that we call America. For me, it's a sense of excitement, but also to be seen. You know, as a black woman and a young black girl that is, I was a third generation Iowan, but I can, you know, my family has been here. I can't trace myself back to anywhere else but America. To start to be seen on a national level 
especially because I don't see a lot of difference between my mother's experience and my experience, and she's in her 70s, and she was not born with all of her rights. I would be the first person born in my family in 1974 that was born with all my rights and the mechanism to litigate it. And so when you think about that, it's not that far away. Freedom is still new. We can never close our eyes or think we're done. We must continue to strive. We must continue to elevate. We need to continue to educate. And we need to continue to uplift these holidays and commemorations to make sure that we're continuing to right this wrong and the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and all the things that we continue to strive to be better and do better. That was Kim Carson, the head of Burlington's Office for Race, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, talking about the city's Juneteenth celebration. Tomorrow morning, the city is hosting a gospel brunch. And coming up in just a minute, we'll listen back to our conversation with the artistic director of the Juneteenth Community Gospel Choir about the roots of gospel music from field haulers to contemporaries like Cece Winnens. You can find a list of Juneteenth events in our region at our website, ncpr.org. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, a conversation with the head of Plattsburgh State Gospel Choir. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. We've got showers, maybe an isolated thunderstorm today. Light winds out of the southwest, a high around 70. Lows in the 50s tonight. Tomorrow and Sunday, also scattered showers possible. Highs upper 60s, low 70s this weekend. And then early next week, uh, partly cloudy skies. Highs in the 70s could see highs low 80s Tuesday and Wednesday of next week with partly cloudy skies. Right now in Canton, partly cloudy, 61 degrees. John Warren checks outdoor conditions for the Adirondacks this weekend. Some showers and the possibility of thunderstorms are in the forecast through the weekend. Keep an eye on the weather and be sure to never be on open water or above treeline during thunderstorms. If you can hear thunder, you can be struck by lightning. Temperatures on high peak summits are expected to be in the lower 50s today and mid to upper 40s this weekend. Winds will be relatively calm except during storms. Waters around the region are returning to more normal levels, with the notable exception of the smallest streams and the Hudson River, which remain a bit below normal for this time of year. Most of the region remains abnormally dry, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Stream crossings should not be a problem this weekend. The Hudson River gauge at North Creek is forecast to rise to a bit over three feet by Sunday. The Racket River is expected to rise to just under five feet at Piercefield, and the Lake Champlain gauge a little north of Whitehall is a little over 95 and a half feet. Water temperatures are now comfortably in the mid-60s around the region. That's the water temperature of Upper Saranac Lake and Mirror Lake. Lake Champlain is closer to the lower 60s. And Lake George, at least over at Warner Bay, which is a regional warm spot, is in the upper 60s. 
Expect parking areas to fill early along Route 73 as hiker shuttles are not yet running. In the Independence Wild Forest, the Eatonville Trail remains closed through mid-July. The Bloomingdale Bog Trail, about three-quarters of a mile west of Route 86, remains covered with large rocks for several hundred feet, making it difficult to traverse. Gulf Brook Road and the Boris Ponds Track is now open to the Four Corners parking lot, and the Lake Lila Road has reopened. Those are the outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac, online at newyorkalmanac.com. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. Good morning. I'm Monica Sandreski here with Todd Moe. And as promised, we're going to preview one of the acts performing at Burlington's Juneteenth celebration this weekend. The Gospel Brunch tomorrow morning will be hosted by Reverend Mark Hughes of Vermont's only black church, New Alpha Missionary Baptist Church. And it'll be backed by the Juneteenth Community Choir. Dexter Chris is the choir director, and he has a long history with gospel music. He's served as the artistic director and pianist for the Plattsburgh State Gospel Choir since 1991. It has been pivotal in its growth. I caught up with him and his co-director, Andrea Ogle, last winter to talk about contemporary gospel singers like Kirk Franklin and its roots in jazz and field hollers. Oh, Moses, Moses, don't get lost. In that Smart your Lord and come across. I'm originally from Arkansas, so I grew up in the church. I mean, my entire life was church. So born in church and born into parents who both were singers uh, in, a, in a style called quartet. Down south, they would call it quartet. That's how they would, uh, that's the dictionary we use. Unbeknown to most people that today's barber shoppers, which are pretty much heavily older white men and older white women, really started with blacks who would sing quartet. That's where it actually started. Think how amazing it would be to have a, a field that's probably 200 acres and there's probably 50, 60 people of color um, Plays at the time working those fields, singing over this space, filling that space up. The sound must have been unbelievable. In all of that, there was always someone who had the voice that would really carry more than others. And those people with the better voices would probably on the weekends and maybe at night get together. And it's just four or five of them. And they're like, hey, let's sing this song the way we know it should be. And hence, the beginning of, of the uh, barbershop started to form. Well, there's a tolling. There's a tolling. There's a tolling. Lord, they are tolling. They keep a tolling. Keep a tolling. Every day. Every day, Lord. Make me feel. Make me feel like my time. Mm-hmm. Hey, I was reading um, a book by James Cone about spirituals and the blues. He sort of described this music as um, being about the power of song to sustain in the struggle for black survival is, is how he put it. And, and yeah. I wonder how that resonates with you. For me, when I think about um, the slaves and them being 
told that, you know, they're not considered human and that their lives aren't valued. And when the, when the slave masters, when they would go to church, they were told that the Bible wasn't for them, that God in heaven wasn't for them. And for the slaves to have to internalize that and, 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 and reinterpret that to be that there's gotta be a heaven. There has to be something more than this, that it has to be for me too. And so those songs that when they sing those songs to inspire themselves to keep going because the only hope they have is this hope of the afterlife that it will be better than this. And that's what the music is what really helped kept them together. It was their hope. Have you heard of a city? Streets are filled with gold. Have you heard of a city? Streets are filled with gold. Out of 12 gates to the city. Hallelujah. Meet me in the city. Meet me in the city. Streets of gold. When the civil rights movement was birthed, the music was right there with it to give it the energy that it needed to sustain it. Just like us, right? We work all day. We have our music in the background. But of course, back then they didn't have that opportunity. So they had to sing it themselves. So if they would go and protest, uh, they need something to kind of hold them together. And then more then than now, people attended church on the regular. So they knew those hymns instinctively. And there were the songs that their grandparents sang and their moms and dads sang. And so they would sing those songs. And we Shall Overcome, which most people know. And, and then, you know, Soon I Will Be Done. We're doing this one song by Jesse Dixon called The Wicked Shall Cease Their Troubling. The, we the Weary Shall Be at Rest. What I love about that song, if you interpret it fully,